Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I have spent the last 30 years helping people to create and maintain relationships that contain sizzling sex without the shame. And we are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time as usual. This week, the letter is L, and L is for love. And we are going to talk about non-monogamous and polyamorous love, but we'll also talk about um, monogamy as well in all of this. For this um, amazing episode, I am joined by two people. And I'm, I'm hoping I'm not going to butcher names. If I do, please, you know, correct me. All right. M.P. Boisfer holds a master's degree in creative writing from the University of Sherbrooke, was executive director of the Quebec LGBT Council from 2015 to 2020, and consultants for various Quebec and Canadian ministries on issues of sexual and gender diversity. She's the co-founder of Fier La Fête, Sherbrooke's Pride, and her contributions to magazines and academic journals testify to a lively, daring, and unique writing. Her first novel, oh, and now I can't see, in English, it's fifth. I should be able to say it in French, but I'm going to let her do that in a minute because I will mangle the title. My French is so, so out of date. Um, but it was published in French in 2017, and it deals with the intimacy of love and polyamory between five roommates and is published by Caitlin Press in English uh, this year, 2021. The novel was translated by Monica Menengeti, and she is also joining us. Monica's first book was What the Mouth Wants, A Memoir of Food, Love, and Belonging, Dagger Editions 2017. It was a Lambda Literary Award finalist and tied as the Buy Book Award winner. Her translation from Italian, The Call of the Ice, Mountaineer's Books, was a Banff Mountain Book Award finalist. Her poetry, fiction, and nonfiction appear in print, online, in musical scores, and on stage. Born in Canada in the region of Treaty 7, Calgary, she gratefully acknowledges being an unsettled white settler living on unceded traditional Coast Salish territories. Um, and for those of you who don't know, that's Vancouver. Welcome to the show, both of you. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks, Laurie. Can we start, please, pronounce the name of the book in French. <laughs> yes, it's Au Cinquième. Cinquième, so it's just, okay. It, it means like a literal translation would be at the fifth or on the fifth. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, on the fifth makes more sense to me because it starts, so this book starts with um, a person moving into the fifth floor. Right, exactly. I have to tell you, I, I really enjoyed um the emotional content of this book. So for those of you who are in monogamous relationships, it'll take some adjusting. It still translates when you're looking at layers of how people perceive love and connection, because not all of the relationships in this book are overtly sexual. Some of them mm -hmm. have been previously sexual. What I found really interesting about the book is that this is, there's a pivot person who seems to bring all these people together. Alice is the character and she brings all these people together to live in this space, but they're not necessarily really happy to all be with each other. They developed that over time, but she's brought them together. So I found that fascinating because I'm as a polyamorous person myself, I was like, no, I would never do that. <laughs> I could never live in that situation. Um, so what, what inspired writing this? Um, there's lots of things, but like, I, I would say that it was the people first and foremost, um, some people that I know and love, uh, to different degrees. Um, and I would often think about, well, I, I was in a creative writing program, so I was like writing all kinds of different things, but I was often thinking about how, you know, um, poly people or people who have different, just different models of love and relationship um, should have like a utopia <laughs> where they, where they live and are free of like judgment and, and frustration from the outside world. And actually the first, 
the first draft of this or the first idea of this was uh, was like with 10 people who had all like their tiny house in on a big um on a on a big field somewhere or in a forest or whatever um but when i spoke with my creative uh writing i want to say director because uh, i was doing my master's thesis then she was like yeah i mean i see what you're doing but also don't you think that people would relate more if it could actually happen like if it, if it was you know if it could happen next to them like it could be their neighbors you know having this situation or it could be people who can imagine themselves in this apartment. Um, and I thought that was, I, that actually brought a whole new realm of, of uh, perspective, especially the one where, you know, what happens when you have limited resources and limited, um, especially when maybe you're student, maybe you're, you're employed and you have to live with these people and you have to, um understand or at least try to understand them and cohabitate so yeah those were all things that went into the creation i mean so for me one of the interesting things is 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 the the, that it's to me it was somewhat based on the fact that that people need people need a roommate right so alice brings somebody in who needed a place to stay um and so it's not um, it's not necessarily based around the poly. It's not like we're poly and we want to live together. It's we're poly and we've got limited financial resources and it suits us to be in the same space. And then how do we negotiate our relationships in what is a relatively small space mm-hmm. from the description um, when not all of us feel the same way, not all of us want the same kind of poly, not all of us have the same habits. Um, so it's an added layer. The sexual tension is an added layer to the relationship layer, uh, which I which I found fascinating. Monica, how was this to translate? Well, translating this was an absolute joy. Um, uh, the characters just uh, absolutely enchanted me. Some I liked more than others. Um, I had my favorites and. The days that I was translating those characters, I was uh, pretty excited and happy to be spending time with them. And then there were, you know, one or two of the other characters where I was like, okay, I got to do this chapter today. And, you know, I'm kind of uneasy being with this particular person. And um, it just, it was really great too, from a personal perspective, because I could really relate to the characters. Um, I was so excited to translate the book, particularly because there's such a dearth of narratives uh, that depict poly contexts and queer contexts and kinky contexts. Um, And specifically within a poly context, uh, those things. So um, it was just for me, a very, very much needed book to be out there to add to all of the wonderful books there are that are more related to how to and coping with certain types of um, issues within polyamory. This, this actually, you know, is, is a book that someone like myself can actually really relate to the characters, can see myself in, can actually laugh along knowingly with certain situations that come up. And, uh, you know, that was for me a super big highlight. Uh, I was very, very pleased to have this project. I like the intersectionality of it. I mean, I, so I'm, you know, I write on the topic as well as living it and I teach and I work with clients and, um, and there, there are very few narratives that actually um, aren't written from a point of view of how do you do this? How do you manage this? You know, you don't see a lot of fictional narratives, although I understand that, that, that improves. I mean, certainly in my own, in my own fiction, yeah, there are narratives with multiple people and multiple relationships because I write what I know. So it's there, but it, but my stuff is, is erotica and it's really intense and this is not. And so you can focus more on the relationship issues than you can with some of my, some of the stuff that I write. So um, I did really appreciate the fact that there was um, this multidimensional thing, but that, that it was really queer centric and it was there was the intersection with kink and BDSM although not terribly overtly it was there um, and 
and, and also some really practical aspects of living together when people can bring people home, when you don't go out to go see people or when different people in the house are sleeping with different people and you're not, not everybody sleeps with everybody, which is the fantasy for lots of people. If you were living in a poly situation that of course everyone's having sex, which is not off, often not the case. Not everyone is having sex. So um, I, I really appreciated those nuances uh, and, and they gave me a good laugh too, particularly like the, how much can you hear? <laughs> There's this, the wonderful piece around how much can be heard between the walls and why anybody would be concerned about it being heard between the walls. And I thought that, that um, the part of that where, where you're talking about her concerns are around the fact that she had a different kind of relationship with the person who can hear and that she had a relationship with him when she was very young. So it was a different headspace and that you highlight the fact that maybe some of these concerns come because of embarrassment I would have had back then. And then I've carried it forward because that was when we knew each other. Um, I thought that was really interesting and something I could, I could really easily see happening, but just how do you negotiate those things? Right. Yeah, I really loved that aspect uh, that MP brought in in the narrative of, you know, the person that they invite to, you know, to move in temporarily, so, you know, ostensibly, um, is actually an ex-boyfriend of one of the people in the quad. And so, it adds just that extra layer of conflict and tension and emotional richness. If it had been just some random person, um, it would not have been the same story definitely at not. all. So I definitely, I want to talk about the, the quad and I want to talk about the comment, uh, the comment you quote of Elizabeth chefs, which I think is wonderful about quads being notoriously unstable. We're going to go to break. Um, we'll be back in a couple of minutes after some words for us from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you can be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey everyone, welcome back to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. And this week it is L is for Love, and we're talking polyamorous love. And I'm here with MP Boisfer and Monica 
Menengeti, and I swear I'm, I'm at some point I will stop mangling, mangling names. But Wavea, is that Wavea? Yes. Okay, Wavea. Yeah. Just keep it in my head. Menengeti. Menengeti. Okay, so I've got to get both accents in my head. This will be interesting. <laughs> and I do hate it when I mangle people's names. Um, so, yes, we were talking about the quad being famously unstable. What do you think of that in reality? Well, that, kind, that kind of structure. I I think it's, you know, like, like I, I had read in Elizabeth. Uh, chef's book um, usually if the you know if it starts with two couples together usually and, and ends up being two couples separate whether or not it's the same or <laughs> a different uh, duo and I think that's probably very accurate I've never actually had that situation um, but I, I can imagine that that it's probably true in this instance you know the the quad is not like everyone sleeping together, like you said. So it's yeah. I had made a visual of it. It was more like a triangle with with a you know a, a line coming out of it uh, because you know the three women are are sleeping together and have a relationship together. But um, and there's also this this dude who's sleeping with one of them. So like it's a little different. I think it's a, possibly a little less unstable. I wouldn't know. I would have to ask Elizabeth. <laughs> I think. Go ahead, Monica. Oh, I was just going to add that uh, I, I kind of would venture to say that that any any configuration of relationship is inherently unstable. Um, it's because human beings are not static. And I think the more you embrace growth and exploration, the harder it is for relationships to remain in the same configuration over time. So um, one of the things I love about polyamory is and non-monogamy and all the solo polyamory and all the various things under that umbrella of non-monogamy what I love is, is the ability to morph the relationships uh, over time based on how things change. So things that, you know, have, were started out as being sexual can become asexual. Um, things that started out as non-romantic can become romantic. And, and, that, and yet within that, there is a stability because you're remaining in contact, you're remaining in relationship, but just how you express those relationships changes. And I feel like there's a flexibility there that, uh, you know, that's definitely one of the things that works for me in that paradigm. And I do think it's interesting. I'm not sure I agree that they're, they're all inherently unstable. I mean, I certainly am aware of some dyads and triads that have remained stable over time and their relationships with other people have changed, but they still express their relationship sexually they started out expressing it sexually and they, they're still expressing it sexually 20, 30 years later. Um, you know, it may not be the same frequency and maybe different activities. I mean, there's no such thing as stasis. So not, I don't, I don't necessarily equate stasis with stability, but I do agree with what you were saying is that, that one of the beautiful things about this is that if you do change type style of relationship, you go from uh, if, if you're monogamous and your relationship is no longer sexual and you want a sexual relationship, by definition, you usually end up having to end the relationship that you're in in order to get those needs met. Whereas if you're polyamorous, you can work it out so that you still maintain the emotional relationship and connection with the, with the one person and, and find your sexual satisfaction somewhere else. But I also need to say, because people, I think people have this weird fantasy about this, it isn't seamless. You actually have to communicate about it. Yeah, Lori, and I'm really glad that you brought up the point about stasis not being equivalent to stability, because one of the things that over time um, I have had uh, lots of um, kind of misconceptions about uh, polyamorous and non-monogamous folk, you know, there's a lot of kind of misconceptions and, and unfair judgments, I think, that are circulating. And one of those things is that it's impossible to have long-term, happy, healthy polyamorous relationships. And in my experience, that's completely false. 
Um, and and the many people's experience, that's completely false, but it still, still seems to be a circulating kind of trope. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah, you know, I mean, I have a relationship that has been going um, since I was 17. I'm 58 now, 41 years. Um, now, that one's changed shape over the years, right? So it's gone from being sexual to being non-sexual to being sexual to being not. It, it, it's moved and changed shape. Um, but I'm in an 11 and a half year relationship that hasn't changed shape. It's just deepened. That's um, a successful polyamorous relationship as well. And I don't see polyamorous relationships as short term. In my world, they're not. I mean, you know, there are occasional people who are play partners, but because of the for me, the depth of energy that goes into any kind of sexual experience I have, I don't do pick up and one offs. It doesn't work for me. So that by definition means that eventually if a relationship doesn't end because it's not suitable, it will be long-term. So all of the people that I'm involved with bar one at the moment are people that I've, I've been involved with and known for over five years. Yeah, my my experience is similar. I I think that um that aspect of longevity is is really important as you see also in the book where, you know, she's bringing in her ex, you know, Alice is bringing in her ex um who is still her friend and who she goes to have coffee with and like sure like they're not you know, sexually involved anymore and they just just separate, but like they, they still have this connection. And I think that those connections are, are very undervalued in our society. And that's really too bad because like, like you said, you're giving so much energy and time to someone and you gave like so much of yourself to this person who knows you more than a lot of people. And why would you just end that? And I know other than like dire circumstances, like, It's, it's so sad that we think that we need to cut those relationships and, and those people out of our lives. But I think this, the, the people in this book uh, hopefully understand that, but also know that it is very fragile in, in terms of how much they can sustain in energy, but also in what, what society expects of them. So, you know, you know, you need to have a job, you need to have like, Uh, some kind of link with uh, a biological family. Well, you don't need to, but often you think you need to. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of a, a pressure that they feel, but I also built it so that they would feel protected by this their, their bubble. Like the book it wants to be a little bubble or the apartment is kind of this, this safe space. Yeah, I, I love that about the book, MP. Uh, that's another thing that I reveled in was the um, the way that uh, you represent the value of uh, a romantic and uh, how, like, because there is very much a bias in our society towards romantic versus um, friends uh, being, you know, somehow inherently better or more desirable or more valuable more important. Um, and also, there's also this idea of longevity being the, the um, kind of like uh, the, the litmus test of a relationship's quality or its value. And that's not necessarily the case either. You know, short-term relationships can be just as impactful, um, you know, in someone's life as a long-term connection. And long, some long-term connections are very dead and and not nourishing to the partners. So I think what I loved about the book was how it really kind of showed that, um, you know, that friendships are really valuable and that, um, you know, that you can care and love someone very deeply without there being a romantic or sexual connection and validating that type of relationship. I also think that um, like for me, one of the important bits about this was this idea of, not just the longevity, what, what is of interest to me in the longevity is it's somebody who knew you when. I'm 58 years old. I have one relationship that I've, you know, I've been involved with the person for just under a year. We've known each other for a couple of years, but not intensely. So if you just look at the last year, 
He knows me as that person. He hears my history from other people, but he only knows me as I am as a 58-year-old, no, 57-year-old woman, now 58-year-old woman, who has gotten this level of development, whose body looks like this, whose attitudes are like this, formed out of my whole life. Whereas the relationship with the person that I've had since I was 17, he knows me pre-trauma. He knows me pre um, pre-complete formation of my, my you know, current integrated self. He knows parts of me that nobody else can really know directly because they weren't there. So he has a direct knowledge of something. And so I have people in my life, friends and former lovers in my life from various parts of my life. And I value the me that they know as well as the fact that they then have continuity into the present and they bear witness to the changes. And the growth, and there's something for me, particularly, I mean, I've talked about my trauma history before. I have a really intense trauma history that I, you know, moved through, recovered from, and and now back into life, and I work with people on that. And so, for them to be able to bear witness to before, during, and after is just feels so impactful to me. So, there is that. And I like how in the book, there are different levels of that. You know, some people who know each other for a really long time. And then you've got the new relationships formed when um, Alice brings her former boyfriend in. So that's very new. And they're learning things in different ways. And the ability to shift your view of a person based on how they're presenting now, because you can see how they behave with others, which gives you a different insight. So we're a couple minutes from break. Um, when we come back, um, I want to talk a bit about what you think about the lessons of this book might be. So we'll be back after some words from our sponsors. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health and Wellness. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drloribethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. And this week it is L and L is for love. And we're talking about polyamorous love. And I'm here with MP Boisvert and Monica Menengetti. I think I actually got it closer this time. By the time we finish, I'll actually say your names right. So before the break, we were I, I said that I wanted to talk about like any lessons that 
one might have gotten out of the book. And um, I wasn't thinking of moral lessons. I was thinking more of new ways of thought, maybe takeaways, um, things that were sparked as a result of the book. And particularly because we're all polyamorous, and so we're going to get different messages out of this. But I was thinking about the people who approach it from a point of view of not being polyamorous um, and what they might be exposed to or find out if they were able to put their um, either prejudiced or it might not even be prejudiced. It might just be like a little bit of rigidity around relationship style aside. And so not read it through the eyes of, of kind of heteronormativity. You can, you can start if you want, Monica. I'm, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what springs to mind for me is that if uh, often when we add in this dimension of sexual and romantic, um, people stop noticing uh, the other aspects of relationship. And if one takes those away, um, what you see is a family dynamic mm-hmm. and a roommate dynamic as well. And so I think for me, the takeaway for someone who's coming from a non-sorry from a monogamous paradigm or perspective is to actually look at it that way as what you can glean about family dynamics and roommate dynamics. Um, and also um, how we relate with one another around issues of gender. Um, and so I think there's a lot of takeaways on that level for folks. Um, particularly, I'm thinking about, you know, a comment that Simon makes about Alice, that, that she's always looking after everybody, and that she takes care of everything around here. So she's kind of like, uh, for me, like, that was a big um, mirror of like, okay, you don't need to uh, take so much on yourself when you're in a family dynamic. Um, it's a cooperative effort. And um there's also those uh, confrontations around like how you have some more difficult conversations around gender, perhaps even dealing with pronoun usage. Um, so there's some, some great modeling in the book around that kind of stuff. I, I agree with you. And I also think it's interesting because um, it, so often people miss that when we're in relationship, we mirror our family dy- dynamics from our family of origin um, unless, and even sometimes after, we've had some decent therapy, right? That that the first port of call, the first role you're likely to take is the role that you identified with when you were growing up, whatever you saw. Your emotional skills will be the emotional skills that you saw modeled for you. And until you actually go and do some work to change that, if they weren't good ones, then you won't have good ones either. Um, and that we bring that into any situation, any group situation that we're in, And so I think about the fact like the first time that many people have a group living situation, um, though I'm going to say, you know, I'm I'm not including boarding school. But so the first time that many young people have a group living situation, it's when they go to university, if they go to university. And so those kids that go to university find themselves in either, you know, dormitories or in flats where they have different rooms and they have to share. And you see those same dynamics played out there, even though, um, you know, they, they didn't have a prior relationship. They weren't choosing each other as roommates. So, yeah, I think that's astute. And I also think that it gives us um, some really interesting insight into some of the problems with that. And then we can layer the sex on top of that. Yeah, just that tiny little thing, sex. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that, like, if if I was a monogamous person reading this, you know, I could see myself at least as, you know, Eloy, who comes in as the seemingly heterosexual, seemingly monogamous person who he, he doesn't have a clue, but he's been, he, like, he doesn't really seem open, I guess, at first, but, like, he listens, he, he notices, and I think that's, that's, the best perspective probably for for a reader is just to be aware not necessarily think about how 
you would never do this. Cause I hear this all the time, you know, when people find out that I'm poly, they're like, Oh, I could never do that. And, and it's just like, well, that's okay. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that you should, it's, it's fine, but look at, look at these different um, possibilities and choose whatever you want to choose from. And I, I, you know, I remember writing this and my best friend who's, who's heterosexual and monogamous was telling me from time to time, Oh, you know, this is really good for, for any relationship in terms of, of communication and just, you know, choosing each other over and over again, because you have that openness to decide whatever you want to do with whomever, and you're still choosing these people. And I, she was like, I've, you know, I've, I've now I, I'm able to talk with, with my partner about all this and we still choose each other. And I just think that's really beautiful. You know, I think that's a really important one. There's been, um, I do TikTok and um, um, cause it works. And um, there's been a couple of people talking about recently about um, that if you're monogamous, you should still have an agreement for your relationship, the same as polyamorous people do. And it's something that I've taught a lot. So um, I think oftentimes we develop skills out of necessity. So making that choice, making a conscious choice, it's out of necessity. It's out, I don't fit into monogamy. I need to figure out what I am, who I am, and where I am. And as a result, I have to learn about it and learn about different things and choice. And I have to learn to communicate because I can't assume that the person that I meet is going to un- have anything in common with me or be at all interested in what I'm interested in. Whereas if you are heteronormative, then you make assumptions about that. Now you can be wrong, but you make assumptions about it anyway. It's like, if you meet another person who's heteronormative, your assumption is that there's certain things you can do together that you'll both enjoy. There's a certain type of relationship pattern that is the way it's supposed to be. And people just kind of swallow that. And I always think it's really valuable to get people to, no matter what their persuasion is to back off and actually choose. So look at yourself, figure out what you want and actually make active conscious choices instead of allowing it. So if if you decide to move in together, for example, instead of allowing it to be the relationship escalator where, you know, we've been dating for two years, so now we should be moving in together, make a decision to move in together regardless of the time. So, you know, look at it when you want that. Yeah, definitely. There's a a level of conscious monogamy that's really been fueled by the kinds of um, uh, provocations that um, tearing down the monogamous uh, assumptions has given the monogamous community, really. I think that that conscious monogamy is a a huge thing now. You see people writing about it too, and a lot of it is is fueled by you know, again, the the provocations that polyamory presents. But uh, I also think, too, that, um, you know, this idea that you you could never do that, you know, I hear that a lot, too, MP. It's like, I don't know how you do that, you know, uh, and I could never do that, or I would never do that. And it's quite interesting, because it, I see it as kind of a similar situation to like someone who's who's very homophobic until they find out their child is gay. Um, and then suddenly their world shifts, and perhaps their love for their kid, uh, you know, makes them struggle with it and get past their homophobia. Um, I think for me, like, there's a lot of stories out there of people who are monogamous and fall in love with someone who happens to be polyamorous. And there's a lot of negative tropes out there, too, about how that doesn't work. And certainly that is completely wrong. There are different challenges, for sure, in that type of a paradigm. But monogamous polyparents happen, and they happen happily. And I, I you know, I, I can be um you know a testament to that but seriously like you you know you're not you're not doing it until there's a reason to do it and some monogamous folks can't make that transition to being in a a relationship with someone who's poly and remain monogamous right um they don't necessarily have to become poly just because they've fallen in love with someone who's polyamorous but there they are they're doing polyamory in a way 
right? It's because a, they're doing polyamory by association. It's, so it's always like, interesting to me, that one, because that is something that I wrote an article in 2017 that said, yes, it's possible to be monogamous in a polyamorous relationship. I get more referrals from that article to this day than anywhere else. So I spend about, I would say, half my practice is mon- mono poly pairings. I'm so glad to hear that, Lori. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry. So glad to hear that because um, my experience has has told me that there are so few resources for um, monogamous poly pairings, and I was actually, you know, really trying to do something about that at a certain point, but just did not have the bandwidth. So I'm glad to hear that you're, you know, that you're actually helping people with that because monogamous folks in that in that situation really have specific concerns and specific needs that aren't necessarily catered to by the existing polyamorous support networks Absolutely. or books. So um, we're going to be back in a couple of minutes for the last segment. I want to talk a little bit more about what I'm doing with this because I think it's really important because we see loads of it. Um, and if I didn't believe that, I do now because I see that that one thing still brings three to five people to consult me a week about that topic. Some of them work with me, some of them don't, but it's three to five people a week come through just on that topic. And and that's been consistent, sometimes more, but never less. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes after some words from our sponsors. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice of America Health and Wellness. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. And this is the last segment of L is for Love. And we're talking polyamorous love, but we're also been talking monopoly mixes. And I am with MP Wover and Monica Menengetti. So um, before the break, we were talking about the fact that um, there aren't very many resources for monopoly pairings. And Monica, you were sharing that, you know, some... um, some people will say, some poly people will say, I don't want to do the work to bring somebody in who's monogamous. Um, there are many monogamous people who say, oh, I just, I just wouldn't want to do that. Um, but I was saying that, yeah, you know, I do a lot of work with couples in this situation. And they seem to fall into two groups. One group is, is um, have had an affair and now come in to look at this. And that's um, always coming from a different place, coming, with, coming in with a betrayal is a different kind of work. But the other group 
are coming in before anything like that's happened because they wanted to avoid the betrayal part of things and are trying to figure out how they can stay together when their outlook on relationships is so very different. And I, I probably will write something substantial on this at one point because there really is very little. And what there is apparently other than mine, uh, it, it seems to be quite negative that, that this, you know, this is really too hard. And I don't think it's yeah, too yeah. hard. It's hard, but it's not too hard. Sometimes we even fall in the trap of thinking, oh, if this is hard once, it's always going to be hard. I know I've been in that situation. I've been that poly person who said, like, this is too hard. Like, I don't have enough energy <laughs> to do this. And, and then thinking, I'll never do this again because, you know, you're trying to protect yourself and you're from heartbreak, which inevitably happens in, in when you don't want to put that energy in not because of the situation it's when you don't want to put the energy so um yeah and and it's funny because there are so many um stereotypes that that are broken down by by this but also i think i i was thinking also of um you know a monopoly in in a situation where the mono person is fine with the the poly person seeing other people Um, for especially for sexual reasons, like because they're they're not um, you know their their libido is just not the same, and um, often we think that that will always be in a heterosexual relationship the man who wants to see more people and you know have more activity, but that is not true. Like I've seen so many examples of that, and it's it's. I, I, it's a shame that we don't see more of that representation in in the public sphere. Yeah, you are so right. I will tell you that far more of the people who come and seek me, where there's a mismatch in libido, who are who are the ones who are bringing into therapy are women who are complaining that they're not getting their needs met. It's a far higher percentage when it's a heterosexual couple, right? And um, and it's always interesting when that's where the poly is centered on. Sometimes partners love it. As you say, sometimes partners are fine with it. But then there's also this thing that I see quite often, which is, uh, and you see this even in couples where they're both poly, where the person isn't paying attention to the existing relationship because the new relationship energy is so cool. Or they haven't had sex with their existing partner in two years and and their partner is not happy about this. And then they go and start a relationship with someone else and they're having sex with the other person. I always compare that to the um, in custody arrangements of divorced parents, right? So the parent that you live with is the one that does the scut work, that they do the homework, they, they're, you know, they give you the bath, they're taking care of you when you're sick. Um, they're doing all the work part of it and having fun with you is not a big thing that they get to do a lot of because you're with them when you go to school. So they've got much less time. Whereas the parent that's getting the weekend access, that's, you know, fun, fun parent. Right. And they do all the fun things. And the person at home can really resent that if they don't get some of that time where they actually get to enjoy their relationship. And, that, and you see that a lot in polyamory, you know, where people don't think it through. So it's like, oh, I've got two weekend days well, I'm with you all week. I'm going to go out with, you know, Mary on one weekend day and, and Joe on the other because I'm with you all week. Why are you upset by this? Why are you jealous? It must be you're insecure. Well, actually, oftentimes it's no, it's a time and amusement thing. Yeah, you're with me all week, but you're asleep. <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm cooking you dinner and washing your clothes and you're, having, you're out, you know, partying and having sex with somebody else. And with me, if we do have sex, it's, you know, Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, because you're exhausted. So I'm not getting any quality time. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, I can definitely imagine that in, in more long-term, um, Polly, uh, that, that definitely takes on. And it's funny because we hear a lot about people trying to mitigate the impact of new relationship energy on the existing relationship, but it, it goes a lot deeper than that. It's not, it's not just, you know, telling the person that you love them and then, you know, reassure when you, you are back home and it's also actually spending the time. 
That's what it is. It's actually making the priority. I was talking with somebody else about um, a friend of mine who talks about the idea of sweat equity and that a new relationship has no sweat equity. And so they can't expect parity because there's no sweat equity. And if you mistakenly, because of ideology, give them parity in time and prioritization and all those things, you really insult the partners who have sweat equity. So like you can just come in and, and, and take part in all the fun stuff and you don't have to do any of the work. Um, and, and that becomes a really big emotional issue. That's a place where people break up long-term relationships. Um, so it's really important that people understand that it's far deeper than just reassurance. So believe it or not, we are only four minutes before the end of this show. Um, I'd like uh, both of you to uh, tell people where they can find you if they want to find you. And also, please talk about where the book is. Um, so I'm, well, I live in Ontario for some reason uh, right now. Um, and uh, you can find me on Instagram at mp. Boisvert, so that's B-Y-S-V-E-R-T. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, the book. I mean, the book is available online in English on the Caitlin Press website. So Caitlin is spelled C-A-I-T-L-I-N. Is that right, uh, Monica? Yeah. And uh, so Caitlin Press uh, in Vancouver, and you did in French, um, at... Uh, La Mesh. So La Mesh is the editor. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Thanks. Monica? Um, on Instagram is What the Mouth Wants. Uh, you can find me on Facebook um, as uh, Mon Man Writer. Uh, Twitter, Mon Man. Uh, LinkedIn, Monica Menegetti. Um, you can find my website on WordPress, Monica Menegetti WordPress. Um, and uh, yeah, I the book is available if you're in Vancouver, head on down to Little Sisters Book and Art Emporium where uh, they have signed copies that have actually got MP's signature in there. Um, and um, they also have signed copies of What the Mouth Wants, which does also touch upon some of the things we've talked about today. And um, you can email me through my website or just at monicamenegetti at gmail.com. I do work with folks uh, as writers. I work with folks uh, in meditation practices that um, have supported me through polyamory as well as anxiety and creative issues. Um, So, and that I do that under Wild Divine Meditation, which is just kind of the website. It's not launched yet, but it will be. Um, so yeah, I, uh, cool. we also have another event. MP and I have been uh, invited to the Violet Hour, which is a queer reading series put on by Christopher Dirado in Montreal, and uh, that's going to be on, I believe, it's the twenty seventh. Um, but just check out the Violet Hour. Um, and we'll be doing some readings from the book uh, that I think you'll enjoy. So hopefully you can join us for that. So um, we are running out of time. Uh, Next week, it's the letter M. If you did not get to come to the play party, save the date, 30th of May. We're doing another virtual play party. The information will be up soon. Don't forget to grab a copy of my latest Chopping Wood Shaping Metal and Other Erotic Stories. Um, you can grab that on Amazon. You can also grab co- signed copies from me. And I got a limited edition hardback out. So if you want that, go and grab it off my website. I'll see you all next week. Be safe. Have fun. That's it from me. Thank, Thank you so much for having us, Lori. My pleasure. Thank you.